Some of you know I've recently finished writing a book. Um, I've started submitting it to publishers. It's a long shot. It's always a long shot uh, to get published, but it's something that's been on my heart for three or four years now, and, and I just had to put it on paper. We'll see what the Lord does. You never know what God's going to do. But the book is built around Hebrews 11. Most of you are familiar with that chapter. That's the chapter where God defines faith. We don't have to be confused about what faith is. God tells us what it is. He defines it for us in Hebrews 11. And then He illustrates it for us for the balance of the chapter. Most of the chapter are illustrations of what real faith is and how it lives. It looks like guys building arcs when it's never rained. It looks like middle-aged men leaving everything to follow God. It looks like old, barren women conceiving and having a child. It looks like a guy with a stick who brought down the most powerful nation um, in the world. It looks like a farmer leading 300 men against 135,000 enemy combatants. It looks like a boy stepping in front of a giant and killing him. God says, this is real faith. <laughs> God says, this is what faith does. This is what faith looks like. It looks like men and women who believe God enough, trust God enough, and love God enough to take any risk in obeying Him. To bring Him honor and to bring Him glory on this planet. Hebrews 11 is about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Gideon and David, etc., etc. Real men and real women with real faith and a real God turning the real world upside down. Amen? That's who we are as uh, born-again believers. That's who we are as the sons and daughters of the King. And you know how these ordinary men and women were able to do this, right? It was because their faith was so great, right? Wrong. Just so there's nobody makes a mistake. Wrong! It's not because their faith was so great. Why were they able to live these extraordinary lives? Because their God is so great. It's not about your faith, beloved. Yes, you must have it. But it's not about how great your faith is. It's about how much you trust God. Because your God is God. Your God is great. You can do Hebrews 11. For the balance of your days. You, you have license. This is what my book is about. You have license to live your Christianity as huge as you dare. You know, not in some small, careful, cautious, religious way, but out in the world to magnify the King out in the world with your words and your deeds. The main character of Hebrews 11 is not Noah, it's not Abraham, it's not David, it's not Rahab. Who is it? You can guess. It's God. God is the main character of Hebrews 11. And if you decide to live by faith, radical faith, biblical faith, saving faith, born again faith, God will be the main character in your life too. <laughs> and you'll just be kind of along for the ride. Watching all the awesome things that He brings into your life and how He uses you for the glory of His Son. We can do Hebrews 11 because He is who He is. We can do all He says because He will do all He says. You know, really it comes down to trust. This is what it really comes down to. It's always come down to this. Do you really believe Him? Do you really trust Him? So, guess what I talk about in the first chapter of my book which is about Hebrews 11? Anybody guess what the first chapter might be about? 
after that dissertation. It's about God. It's a mini, uh, a mini uh, seminar on the attributes of God. And listen, you're freed up when you get God, when you learn God correctly, biblically that is, you're free to live Hebrews 11. You're free to do it. Um, you can do it. You can live as, your faith, as I said, as big as you dare. It's up to you. It's up to you. I love that about the Lord. He's God and nobody else is. You've heard me say it many, many times. He is the sovereign Creator, Redeemer God. No man can stay His hand. He will accomplish all His good pleasure. The question is, will you and I be in on it? <laughs> he will accomplish all His good pleasure. He will! The question is, will you go with Him? And will you feel the pleasure of God as you surrender to Him and obey Him even when it looks hard? Even when it's risky? Even when it's costly? All you got to do is read your Bibles, beloved. All you got to do is open your Bible and read it. Christianity is not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. It's not meant to be that. I know many false teachers present it in that way. But that is not what Christianity is. So the subtitle of my first chapter, it's about God. The one who calls is God. And the, sub, the, sub, uh, the subtitle is... We sang it. I asked, actually asked Angie to sing that song. The subtitle is Filled with Wonder, Awestruck Wonder. That's why we can go do Hebrews 11. Because we really are filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, right? We really are. This is not just pretty theology. We really are filled with wonder, right? This is what Peter's been talking to us about in the first nine verses. He said, I know it's hard. He's writing to the people who are being persecuted. He says, I know it's hard. But your God is God. Your God is awesome. Your God, your God has chosen you. Your God has saved you. Your God has promised an imperishable inheritance to you. Beloved, this is what Peter's been saying basically. He said, I know it's hard, but you should be filled with wonder. Awestruck wonder that will take you through the hard place as you simply meditate on the awesome goodness of God. Beloved, you've got to think deeply about who He is. You've got to think deeply about what He's done. Um, when we do it, it's, uh, it's an awesome experience. Awestruck wonder is a reflexive response to anyone who has caught a genuine glimpse of Jesus Christ. It's spontaneous. He's just so God. Amen? Nobody's like Him. And if you've really seen Him, you know nobody's like Him. And you are filled with wonder. Awe-struck. Wonder. Just a few, this is a really long introduction, okay? I got really jazzed up about this. So this is a long introduction, but I'm not going to keep you any longer than I normally keep you, okay? So just relax. It's going to take me a while to get to, to verse 10. Don't worry. I've got, I've got my time constraints under control. But I love that creation knows this. Creation is filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. The psalmists tell us that the sun and the moon and the stars praise God. 
The psalmist tells us that the sea monsters praise the Lord. The seas roar in praise to God. The rivers clap their praise to their Creator. The mountains sing their joy to the Lord. The fields and all that is in them exalt in God. The trees sing for joy to the Creator. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. The created order is filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. And actually you can see it. You can feel it when you have those quiet moments. You feel the majesty of what, all that He's spoken into existence. I love it. Creation worships the Lord. Hey, listen, I'm going to go through some things. If you want the, the, the Psalms on those, on those uh, passages, let me know and I'll send you my notes. I'm not going to read the, the, the Scripture references on all the texts that I may be giving you tonight. Also, the angels and the heavenly creatures know this. They're full of wonder, awestruck wonder. The seraphim call out to one another, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the living creatures in Revelation chapter 4, they, they do not cease day and night to call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And many of the, you know, there are many things they're saying when they, when they call God holy. But preeminently they're saying, there's nobody like Him. He's the most awesome being in the cosmos. Nobody's like Him. That's what they're saying. And He's so beautiful. He's so desirable. He's so compelling. The angels are full. And the living creatures, they're so full of wonder. Awestruck wonder. And I love that Angela picked Revelation the Revelation passage, because I have the same one in my notes. There are myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels shouting praise and glory and honor to the Lamb. They can't help it. <laughs> it's, it's reflexive, right? It's, it's, um, yeah, if we've caught a glimpse of Him, we get that. And you remember what the angels did when God spoke the 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. Job tells us that they sang and they shouted for joy. The heavenly creatures and the angels have had a front row seat not only in looking at the infinite beauty of God, but observing firsthand the power, pardon me, the breathtaking power and genius of God as He creates all that we see. Oh, guess what, guess what else the angels are jazzed about when God creates? He creates something else, something else that the angels get really jazzed about. Anybody, it'd be hard for you to guess. It's a tough one. Pardon me? A Christian. What, is the, what does the Gospel tell us? They shout for joy. When God creates a Christian out of a dead, rebellious enemy of God, this is what Romans 5 says about mankind, the angels are jazzed when they see that and they praise the Lord and they rejoice. Not simply when He speaks a cosmos into existence, but when He speaks a, a Christian into existence. Right? And the angels rejoice. They rejoice. It's what Peter has been saying in the first nine verses of 1 Peter. God, yeah, not some wannabe God, but God, God has created you. God has saved you. God has called you. God has chosen you. God has redeemed you by His blood. God has indwelt you with His Spirit. God has caused you to be born again. And God Himself is your inheritance along with infinitely more in the new heaven and the new earth. This is what Peter said. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But remember who you are. Remember who your God is. Remember what your God has promised. 
Do you believe it? You can walk through any hard thing. You can walk through any hard thing. If we're remembering these things, you can walk through it as Job. We know Job struggled mightily. But we remember his example of worship before the Lord. Beloved, if we're not filled with wonder, we've not understood the Gospel at all. We've not understood who God is. We've not understood who we are. We've not understood what Jesus has done. Because when we understand these things from a, a, a biblical perspective, when we truly understand them biblically, <laughs> it, yeah, wonder happens. Now, if it's just merely religion to us, there's no wonder in that. You can be a church member all your life and never be filled with wonder. But you can't know Jesus one second and not be filled with wonder because of who He is and what He has done. Wonder is the only reasonable response. God has loved us. God has come for us. God has adopted us as co-heirs. How can we live our Christianity small? Peter's been saying to us that this unexpected, unwarranted, uncalled for, unprovoked overture of love by God to redeem rebellious sinners uh, like us should fill us with God-sized joy. Does anybody remember my memory verse? Because I showed off how awesome I am with my memory verse last week. Does anybody remember what my memory verse was last week? Rejoice always. Now don't tell me you can't memorize Scripture because an old guy like me, yeah, it's only two words. But you know what? That's Christianity. Rejoice always. Is it hard? Rejoice. Rejoice. You know, this is what I tell people I think I shared with you last week and I've shared it many, many times. When people come to me for counseling, most always the solution is delight yourself in the Lord. That's always the solution. It doesn't matter what the problem is. Delight yourself in the Lord. Amen. He is a good God. And beloved, you can start delighting in Him right now and it will take you a billion eternities to finish. You can't get to the end of the goodness and, and, and glory and majesty of God. We can't get to the end of who He is. And since we're biblically literate, we understand that as God's children, we will never encounter any serious temporal trial, right? Wrong. Thank you, Lynn. Wrong. Well, wait a minute. Joel Osteen says it's going to be that way. If we just think faith-filled thoughts and speak faith-filled words, it'll be that way, right? Wrong. Actually, I mean, if we're going to be biblical, if we're going to be biblical, that is... Wrong. God is not a genie in the bottle. He's not the cosmic Santa Claus. This life is not preeminently about health, wealth, and prosperity for the Christian. God may give those things, and those things are great blessings. But God is after something more. Something deeper in the Christian's life. We talked about it last week. What is it? It's conformity to His Son. God always is building a masterpiece. He's the master artisan. He's creating a masterpiece. His hands are upon us. He's going to complete the good work He's begun. He's going to make us look like Jesus to be conformed into the image of the Son. Romans 8, 29. So, remember what God said about Christians going through hard times last week. 
He says, I wish I could prevent that from happening. I wish I could prevent hard things from coming into your life, right? He said, I'm such a pathetic God. I can't stop those trials and difficulties and afflictions and persecutions from coming into your life. I'm a pathetic God. I can't stop it, right? Wrong. So we talked about last week. God has designed the trial for you. And as Job says, when I've come through the fire, I will come out as... This is always God's preeminent purpose in the believer's life. He will bring you out like gold. And sometimes we go into fire and God burns off the dross. Actually, last week we saw, we saw in the text that the trial is... Does anyone remember that unusual word we discovered in the text last week? The trial is necessary. This is God's Word. The trial is necessary. Why is it necessary? I've already told you. God's going God's to bring you into conformity with Jesus. And in the trial, He's breaking our adulteries and our addictions. If the trial is here, oh, guess what? Someone tell, can, you, can you tell me? If, if the trial is here... We, God is coming. We talked about it last week. If the trial is here, God is here. He always comes to His people in the trial. He never doesn't come to His people in the trial. He never doesn't change His people in the trial. And His people never come out of the trial not loving Him more than when they went in. Beloved, beloved, when the trial's here, what does James say? Count it all joy. God's here. And God's going to change you. God's going to grow you. God's going to teach you more about Himself. And you're going to love Him more than you ever thought you could on the other side of the trial. You will. This is how God works. And Satan hates this. I've told you. Satan hates this. He hates it that Christians still love God. If they lose everything, they still love God. Right? <laughs> he hates that. He hates it. But that's who we are. I love how Oswald Chambers says this. He says, don't pray away the trial until you get the revelation. <laughs> don't pray away the trial until you get the revelation. If God's coming, He's bringing, He's bringing uh, not only does He come, He's bringing a revelation of Himself. A more profound revelation of Himself. That you might know Him more deeply. As we saw last week, God intends for all these biblical realities, who He is, what He's done, what He's doing, what He's promised, and every trial that comes into our lives to result in invincible joy. Invincible joy. Omnipotent joy. Because uh, of all these things, even the hard things, we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls. And you heard the text read. And I'm going to... From now on, I'm, I'm talking out of verse 10, 11, and 12. Peter says, as to this salvation, in other words, he says, all the things that I've been talking about for nine verses, as to this awesome stuff that God has done in your life, the prophets who wrote about it made careful search and inquiry. 
Other translations say that the Old Testament prophets, they diligently searched and they sought out and made careful investigation of these things. Why? Why? Do I need to tell you? Because from Moses to Malachi and from Amos to Zechariah, they were filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. Just like everybody else that encounters the living God. And they longed to understand it more deeply and more fully. The prophets wrote what the Holy Spirit led them to write, but they did not fully understand it. They believed it, but they couldn't understand it all. You see right here in the text, it says, they longed to understand the person and the time. It's not unlike when we read Revelation. We get the core picture. We understand Jesus is coming back, right? We get that. And He's going to crush His enemies with His omnipotent power. He's going to reward His people. He's going to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. We understand the, the big picture. Some of the details are hard for us to get. So it's not unlike that. We understand. We, don't, we can't completely and fully grasp all the details. And the Old Testament prophets were like this with regard to the Messiah. The Old Testament saints looked forward to Messiah even as we look back and they look forward in faith and they were saved by faith as they look forward to Him. But they did not understand all that they wanted to understand about Him. They're just like us. <laughs> we want to know more, right? That's why we come to church and sit under the preached Word. That's why we, we go to Bible studies. That's why we, we spend quiet time with the Lord. That's why we always have the Word um, around us. So we want to know more about this, this awesome God. But the Old Testament prophets looked at the Messiah in a mirror dimly, even as we look at end time prophecies many times. The Holy Spirit came to Isaiah 700 years before the incarnation, and he said, Write this! But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening of our well being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isaiah wrote it and he believed it, he just didn't understand it all. He didn't know the time, he didn't know who exactly. He didn't understand, he knew the Messiah was coming, he just didn't understand. But he was filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. He knew what God was doing was new and mysterious and awesome. So they, they diligently searched out and made careful investigation into their own prophecies. They wanted to understand as much as they could about Messiah. Some of you remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 13. He said, Blessed are your eyes. Remember? Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what was it the disciples were seeing? And what was it that they were hearing? What was it? Was it some new doctrine, some new religious precept, some new ceremony or ordinance? What was it? No, it was Messiah. It was Messiah Himself. It was the incarnation of God. Beloved, how can you not be filled with wonder? God is in the womb of Mary. How can you not be filled with wonder? God is in the manger. How can you not be filled with wonder? God is preaching on the mount. How can you not be filled with wonder? God is on the cross. 
How can you not be filled with wonder? God is in the grave. How can you not be awestruck? God comes out of the grave. Beloved, our faith is like nothing else ever spoken or heard. And shame on us when we allow it to be some little part of our life, some little component or, you know, we box it off and it's our Sunday thing. Beloved, no, 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 no. We're to be filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. Every day as we contemplate these things. I love how J.I. Packer talks about this renowned theologian in the States. He says, the more you think about this, the more staggering it is. Are you not staggered? If you are not staggered, you are not thinking deeply about it. You have to be staggered. God has come for His people. God is a man. God is a man. If you really believe it, you'll be staggered. If you really believe it, you'll be filled with wonder. Awestruck wonder. Of course, there are multitudes of people who call themselves Christians who are not really staggered by these Biblical realities. It's just doctrine and dogma and ceremony and rote prayers and religious activities. You know how you can tell if someone really believes it? It's because it's spilling out in their life. <laughs> this staggered, awestruck wonder, it just spills out in their life. It spills out in, on their tongue. It's on their, it's on their tongue. It comes out in their speech. It's in their deeds. It's how they live. It's how they do relationships. It's how they, they study at school. It's, it's how they, they do their career. It's how they do their marriage. It's how they raise their kids. It's how they serve their church. It's how they speak the Gospel out in the words. It's just, this, as we've talked about so many times, it's the fragrance of God. They just smell like God. Right? That's how you know. That's how you can tell a staggered person, uh, one who's filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, from a, just merely a church member. That's how you tell. Because the wonder comes out. <laughs> it comes out. You can't hold it in. It comes out. You can't hold it in. <laughs> yeah. You can't hold it in. It's too big. It's too beautiful. That takes us back to Hebrews 11. That's what you're seeing in Noah's life and Abraham's life and Sarah's life and David's life. This wonder is just spilling out. Which brings me back around to Peter's core argument in the first nine verses as we've mentioned Peter's writing to a, a suffering people. But Jesus has told Christians why we suffer in the world. John 15, 16, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago. Jesus said, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We get that. I've been saying it a lot lately. I know somebody will be able to finish my sentence. If I can get it started. When the trial comes, we're not supposed to be surprised. We're supposed to be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to glorify Christ in the trial? Are you ready to make Him beautiful in the eyes of your friends and colleagues when the trial comes? They say, why are you still worshiping that so-called God? Look what's going on in your life. Are you ready to respond? Are you ready to respond with the Word? You're not blown over when the trial comes. You're ready to magnify. The Lord, persecution and trials do not come into the Christian's life because we're not loved. It's because oftentimes we, it's because we are loved. Not because we're forgotten, but because we're ever-present 
in the infinite mind of God, not because we're forsaken, but because we are chosen, not because we are abandoned, but because we are adopted. Just some review that we've talked about the last several weeks. As we've been saying, Satan and the world would love to extinguish our wonder. That's what's going on in the life of these first century Christians. Satan is trying to extinguish their wonder. But he can't! Why? Because it's built on God. It's not some stupid man-made religion. It's God. It's God. It's not something man thought up. It's the Word of God. It's God Himself. They can't steal the wonder from these first century Christians. And he, Satan can't steal our wonder either. It's what happened to the Old Testament prophets. We remember the persecution. Hebrews 11 tells us about it. These guys were mocked. They were imprisoned. They were scourged. They were tortured. They were stoned. And they were sawn in two. The world hates the wonder. They hate the light. They love the darkness and they hate the light. It happened to the New Testament apostles. Notice here in verse 12 of 1 Peter 1, he, starts, he talks about those who announced to you through the preached Gospel. He's talking about the apostles there. Everybody knows, after Judas is removed, all the, all the, all the apostles, all the disciples died a martyr's death except for who? Does anybody remember? Except for John. The world hates the wonder. And of course, not all Christians are martyred. We get that. But we understand what the Bible says. All who, wish, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. This is the Word of God, beloved. Don't be surprised. Be ready to glorify the Lord in your difficult time. And I've always loved this phrase at the end of verse 12, 1 Peter 1. Don't you love this? Haven't you always loved this? These are things that the angels long to look into. Don't you love it? I've always loved that chat. I always love that little verse there, that little phrase. These are things that the angels have longed to look into. What is he saying to us? This doesn't mean that they want to but can't. It means they are not direct participants in the redemptive story. They play a supporting role, to be sure, but they are outsiders. Why are they outsiders in the, the, the redemptive plan of God? Because they never sinned. They never sinned. They don't understand what it means to be forgiven by grace. They don't understand it. In fact, they saw many of their colleagues fall in rebellion and they saw God's response. What was God's response to the fallen angels? He simply judged them. He simply dispensed justice. This is the only obligation of a of a perfect holy God. And that's righteous judgment. That's the only obligation. God has no obligation to save anyone. Anyone! And the angels had never seen it before. And then God became a man. And He redeemed the people by His own blood. The angels were full of wonder. All struck wonder. They couldn't believe it. They'd never seen this before. They didn't even know it could happen. God's, man, for a billion eternities, God's going to be blowing our minds. He's going to be blowing <clears throat> our minds. So the holy angels had seen 
the righteous judgment of God, they had never seen the righteous redemption of God. And that's what he's talking about, man. The angels are looking into this and going, wow, it's awesome what God has done to redeem a, a, a people for Himself from the race of men. You know the definition, the theological definition of grace, right? It is unmerited favor. So I looked up the word unmerited. It means undeserved favor, unjustified favor, unwarranted favor, unearned favor. Nobody deserves grace. I hope you understand that biblically. Nobody deserves an offer of salvation from God. Nobody. We're all guilty before Him. And yet, He makes the offer. At great expense to Himself. How can you not be filled with wonder? Beloved, awestruck wonder. I hope this week you'll be filled with wonder. Awestruck wonder as you think about these things. This is what Peter's point is to the people who are suffering. Remember your God. Remember who you are. Remember what He's purchased for you. Remember your inheritance. Beloved, these are big things. I'm sure the angels are thinking, well, how can this ever work? How can, he, how can He righteously redeem? Righteousness demands judgment. How can He righteously redeem? How could it ever work? Oh, here's how it works. God becomes a man and He takes the sin of His people on Himself. That's how it works. It involves a cross. That's how it works. It involves a death. It involves a resurrection. That's how it works. The angels couldn't believe any of it. <laughs> They're just in awe watching what God has done. We understand from Scripture that rebellious, fallen, ungodly men, the enemies of God, became the righteousness of God. The angels can't believe this. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to believe this. In one sense... Of course, we believe it intellectually, but it's, it's hard to believe that we have become the righteousness of God through the atoning work of the Son. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The angels are filled with wonder. Beloved, the Old Testament prophets are filled with awe regarding the salvation of men. The New Testament apostles were filled with awe regarding this awesome Gospel. And even the angels are filled with awe regarding this breathtaking salvation. It's what Peter's been saying to us for 12 verses. So I hope we've laid the groundwork. This is the prologue. This is what Peter's been saying to us. Your God is God. Your God has chosen you. Your God has redeemed you. Your God has indwelt you. Your God has caused you to be born again. Your God has prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. Your God protects you by His power. Your God's hands are on you in the trial. And on your hardest day, your God is holding you and your God is working good in your life. Does anyone believe it? This is what God is saying to His people. If all this is real to you, if you have really met Him, if you have thought deeply about who He is and what He's done and what He's promised, you too will be filled with wonder. Awestruck wonder. And then the next verse. Someone tell me what the first word... I hope you have a, yeah, a friendly translation. What's the first word of verse 
13. Huh? Therefore. So you heard what I said. I preached these. It took six sermons to get 12 verses. I'm not proud. But I'm slow sometimes. Therefore, everything I just said, your God's awesome. Your God's Therefore what? It's always a therefore. There's always a therefore. You know, God doesn't just God doesn't talk to hear himself talk. He doesn't give us the word uh, for no reason. Therefore, gird your minds for action. You got it? Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be uh, brought to you at the revelation of Christ. I'll stop, but therefore, beloved, all this praise, all this glory, all this joy, it's supposed to spill out. It's supposed to spill out in your life. So I'll just ask you as I close, is it spilling out in your life? Maybe you need to recommit to God. Maybe you've become lazy. Maybe you've become... uh, uh, Maybe you've gone through a hard thing and you've not thought rightly about it. Maybe you haven't given it to God. Maybe you just need to remember how awesome He is and how awesome your salvation is and just worship Him afresh and anew. Like maybe you've never worshipped Him before. Remember, beloved. Remember who He is. Remember who you belong to. And next week, we will begin with the therefore. Therefore, you go out there and you be a radical Christian. You be a radical Christian. For every day for the rest of your life, you be a radical Christian. Whatever that looks like in your life. We all have different calls. But you go out there. Therefore, your God is awesome. Your salvation is awesome. Therefore, let's go live it before men in such a way that they, they what? They see our good works and what? They glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, it's, these first 12 verses are beautiful and I thank You for them. I thank You for them, Lord. And yes, Lord, we confess that we are filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. We, we are speechless. What a great God. What a great salvation. What a great Savior. What a great inheritance. Thank You, Father. Thank You for these great words. I pray we take them to heart, Father. I pray that each one of us in this room will think deeply about what we've been talking about in these first 12 verses. And Lord, we would allow the wonder to spill out into our lives. They would... It would spill out over our tongue. It would spill out through our hands and our feet as we, as we go in the world and do what we do. That we would smell like God in the workplace. We'd smell like God at the university. We would smell like God at wherever we are. Lord, use us up, we pray. Fill us up and use us up for these few moments we have left on the planet. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.